Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show. Today, the final word on Manchester City from Saturday, that controversial late defeat. We'll look ahead to Man United on Sunday, the final game before the World Cup break. In part two, I'm speaking to the lovely Claire Parrish, who has now set up the Paul Allen Project, raising funds for defibrillators and training people to give basic life-saving skills in part three we've got your questions and this will catch on a couple of doozies uh, and this will catch on today and i am joined i am so happy to be joined by the regular thursday club for the first time in a while jack collins hello hello sammy how you doing you're right good thank you and joined back by peter rutzler he's back hello peter so excited hello it's good to be back um I've missed I've missed my my couple of weeks listening to you guys and not being involved and just sort of shouting at the you know, radio like <laughs> probably everyone else does when, when I chat my nonsense. So um, yeah, no, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. Oh no, it's, it's so good back. to have you back. We're glad that you're uh, back on the mend mm-hmm. and stuff. Unfortunately, you've got a World Cup break as well now, so you can get fully fit for oh, the, World for Cup the Christmas break. Absolutely restart. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. if system I was going to say this isn't how it works. <laughs> it's a big time. <laughs> have you been allocated a country? Yeah, sort of. So I'm doing Serbia, as you'd expect. So um, yes, there will be Serbia-related content with that in mind. So I'm excited for that. And everyone's yeah, excited for that. The Serbia fan base is pretty uh, vocal on, uh, on on Twitter. You can definitely get some uh, some interaction with, with the Serbian fan base. At Serbian Footy will be all over it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it should be good. It should be, it'll be a busy time. But um, no, I'm glad to be back doing some stuff on, on the on the uh, road back. Not 100% yet, which probably uh, you'll see from my, not as much content as normal, but I'm getting there. So uh, yeah, but it's good to be back on the pod. Oh, it's fantastic, Peter. It was nice to see you at the game as well on Saturday. Let's go into that first then. A controversial defeat at the Etihad. Um, a 95th minute winning penalty from Erling Haaland after Fulham held on for what would have been the first team to get a point at the Etihad all season. Um, we won't like discuss everything in the game, but I just would be interested to get your thoughts on kind of the two key talking points, which is the penalty itself and maybe whether Fulham should have done a bit more 10 v 11. Let's go into that first, Jack. What did you make of it? And was it a missed opportunity against 10 men? I think when you play against 10 for that long in any game, you're going to be frustrated if you get nothing out of the game. So yes, in that regard it is. But as I tweeted at the weekend, City's movement and overloads make it feel a lot of the time that you're playing 11 versus 12, I think, when they're at full strength. So when they went down to 10 men, it just felt a lot like it was 11 versus 11 for, for long periods of this game. It was it was a relatively, even's probably not the right word because I think City still had more of the game and, and maybe Fulham could have stretched this a little bit. We'll come on to that. It just felt like they it, w- it was a level game as opposed to us being a man down to begin with, which is how it often feels, I think, against Manchester City. And it was as if the, the red card sent Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva in particular into overdrive because two of the best individual performances I think I've ever seen in a 10-man side. And and I've spoken to a lot of City fans about this and, you know, a couple of a couple of people on, on Twitter as well, that 
it did feel like one of those kind of almost defining performances of this Pep Guardiola era. And I know a lot of City fans were saying that they thought this was one of the great City performances under Pep Guardiola. Now that's something to be, I think, admired from a, from a Fulham perspective, because if we are forcing them into that kind of performance in order to get past us, that's pretty spectacular for a side that are newly promoted to the division. A flip side is obviously Fulham felt like we let the game kind of slide out of our control. And, you know, that's no, it's not a massive problem against City. But equally, I think the caveat for that is more that this is clearly not a full strength Fulham side. And without Alexander Mitrovic, it was always going to be hard for Fulham to get our attacking patterns into full swing. So there are caveats. There are some disappointments. There are definitely elements of could Fulham have done more in this game? But ultimately, I think at times you just have to tip your hat to a side that are genuinely really, really quite incredible and put on one of the great 10-man performances and even then just about snuck over the line against us. So I'm, I'm kind of willing to look at it in that regard. I was, I was sitting next to um, Sam Lee, who covers Man City for us at The Athletic, and you could tell from his reaction to the performance as well. Obviously, you know, you get used to watching City and the quality they produce, but in particular, as, as Jack pointed out about Bernardo Silva and especially Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, I've, I'm not sure I've seen a performance like that in the flesh, um, mainly because he was doing the same things that we know he can do to, you know, the, the, the upper end of his talent capabilities, but with 10 men. And then covering that amount of ground, and you you could sense, I mean, you could sense it from the crowd that they were they were playing exceptionally well. But um, there was no doubt, and I think you don't, you don't really want to underplay how good City were. Um, I think you guys covered it quite well over the weekend when talking about the tactical side. You know what, what you know, Marco Silva said afterwards, and, and Pep Guardiola said afterwards as well. With the way they use Rodri, sometimes even Bernardo Silva just dropping in at centre half. It just meant that on the ball, there weren't really any different to what they are normally. And that's, that's where the problem was for Fulham. For Fulham to have impacted the game, to affect the game, they needed more control of the ball. And that was the thing that, for me, was, was lacking, particularly in that second half. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you could have brought on Tom Kenny earlier. You know, maybe they were, it could have held the ball up better in the second half with Vinicius. But there were, there were so many different extenuating factors. You know, Vinicius has not started many games. You could see by the end he was absolutely knackered. Harry Wilson as well picked up sort of a knock. He hasn't, he's just come back from a long-term injury. So <laughs> it's, it's very, very difficult. And I think if you were to criticise Fulham, it would be just about their ball retention. And as Jack said, controlling the game. You just, sometimes you do just have to hold your hands up. I mean, City didn't create very that much. I yeah. don't think they, they, you know, it's not like they bombarded Burnt Leonard's this goal. This is the thing, they weren't, able to, they weren't able to create the overloads they normally do, but it didn't mm. feel like they were a man down. That would be that would be my take on it. No, and, and you know, to get close to a point, you know, it's a soft penalty in the end and that's that really hurt. But I was really struck by the celebrations. Um, you know, you could see that for City, it was a massive win because it has been their pursuit of the title. But also to have like the same reaction kind of around the ground that Fulham had when they went to Arsenal. It was, uh, uh, that's what kind of I took away from it. That feeling that the two biggest teams in the league this year, the two best teams in the league this year, are going absolutely wild for seeing off Fulham in the last minutes. At that's home. at home. And, and that's something you really have to take. And I know there was so much disappointment about the result and the fact that, you know, with 10 men, they haven't come away with anything. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to look at that and use that as, a, as one reflective of just how well Fulham have played this year, but also as a confidence boost. 
the fact that Fulham can can do that. We've seen against the big six, like all the games have been tight. Tottenham, Liverpool, um, City, Arsenal. You know, that's that's so encouraging. I mean, you want to take more points, sure, but it just adds that element that they'll they can pick up points in any game. And for full, that's sort of what I touched on in the piece afterwards. And that's that's kind of the the main sort of takeaway for me. And then the penalty, Jack. Um, we don't need to go into it in massive detail. I feel like it's been poured over on um, on social media, but I'd just be interested to think <laughs> if you thought it was a penalty and whether it should have been overturned um, once once it became clear what had happened. I just saw Jack's face. <laughs> I think it must have frozen. <laughs> nah. Look of pain. <laughs> yeah. We can skip pain. over this. We don't no, need to go no, into no, detail, no. but I'm just interested fine. in your opinion. I think it's a penalty. I'll be honest with you. I think it's a penalty. Um, I, I think that there's contact enough, even if De Bruyne instigates it. I don't think he does. I know that people have been saying in the slow-mos that it looks like De Bruyne instigates contact. I, th- I think there's enough for him to go down. Don't get me wrong. It's really soft. And the frustrations I have, um, and I spoke about this on Ranks, are that they? it's the kind of penalty you get given, and that's fine. But we saw a very, very similar one at Nottingham Forest but that happened with, in the Brentford game that wasn't overturned because the referee didn't give it on the pitch. We saw something very, very similar within last week's game against Everton where Willian was brought down for a similar amount of contact, I would say, that wasn't given. I think if the referee doesn't give it on the pitch, it doesn't get overturned. But I don't I think there's enough in it that it's never going to be a clear and obvious error. So it's frustrating, um, but it, it but it is what it is. And I, I think it probably is a penalty. It's no real slight on Robinson. I saw yeah, we saw someone talking about this. I can't remember if it was on Talksport or whatever, but it was saying that it was it was schoolboy defending. And I was looking at it, listening to it, going, What? It's Kevin De Bruyne in the 90th minute at City when you are clinging on to a point. You know, the first time that City would have dropped points at home all season. Are you sure? But I think Anthony Robinson has credit in the bank. I don't think there's any real blame attached to him for that. And yeah, it's sadly a penalty for me. The one that I wanted to just flip it on was it's definitely a red card. I know there was some discussion among City fans that this was not a red card. It's 100% a red card. Yeah, I didn't know there was any debate. Yeah, there, there was been a lot of chat saying it was too harsh as a too harsh as a decision, but there's no attempt to play the ball whatsoever, and he's denying clear goal scoring opportunity. The weird thing about that rule is that if that tackle happens anywhere else on the pitch, it's not even a yellow. But in the circumstances and in the, but isn't that just like that's that's because he's last man? There's lots of yeah, tackles yeah, that yeah, wouldn't yeah. be red that are you know he's last man. So that's no, why but it's normally I think you norm a challenge in the box that you foul someone you'd probably be booked for. But this is not a, definitely not yeah. a yellow. But within the within the context, it's hundred percent a red card. I get, I saw the frustration when you saw like um, is it Robertson on Sessegnon? Trent. Uh, Trent, Trent, sorry, on Sessignon in that game, and he kind of pushes him over, and people comparing it to that, and I'm like, well, yeah, probably, yeah, I can, I can see the frustration and the lack of consistency. Of the, the difference decisions, is that Sessignon's not clean through on goal. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's literally gone in and rugby tackled him to to, to half an extent. Um, Peter, just quickly, your thoughts on the De Bruyne penalty? I, I t- just quickly though, completely agree with what you say, Jack. Flipping Kevin De Bruyne. So you're against like Ronaldinho or any Messi, Ronaldo. I know he's not quite at those levels, but he's not miles off. Like, yeah, I would probably stick my foot in as well. <laughs> if he'd done this on Cole Palmer, I'd have more of an issue with it. <laughs> yeah, Peter, sorry. 
No, I, you know, I, I agree with Jack. I, I, I think what you have to go with is how you see it in real time. And this is the thing with replays um, when they're slowed down so much, you know, you, you, when you watch it back, you see how soft it is and it is soft and De Bruyne makes the most of it. But when, when you saw it in real time, when I saw it in real time, I was like, oh, it's a penalty. That's, you watch it back, it's a, it's a penalty. And I can see why the referee's given it. And um, I, can, I understand the frustration and Jack, Jack outlined the frustration. It's because it's, you know, we have the Willian one last week against Everton um, and the other incidents as well. And you just w- you want those to be, be balanced out, but you're never, you're never really going to get that consistency if you have different officials. And I think you talked about that, Sammy, and I thought that was a good point. Um, I don't think this is a VAR issue because it's, as Jack says, it's not clear and obvious and I don't think they would overturn it. Um, it's frustrating in the environment. This is where like the situation comes into it. You know, the crowd are wanting something. It's, it's, it's going to, the wind's going to blow that way, unfortunately. And, um, I, it was very soft, but it was, it was a penalty. Um, and it was a brutal one, but yeah, I don't get any criticism of Anthony Robinson. I mean, sure. He's, he's committed a foul. He's given the referee a decision, but, um, it's De Bruyne. It is, you know, he's trying to make amends and he's, he's made a mistake. Um, but you know, hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll swing around, but yeah, for me, it was, um, as frustrating as it is. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, quickly discuss, um, as uh, he's been mentioned, um, Anthony Robinson looking likely to be in the US men's national team squad, but more newsworthy, Tim Ream, Jack, uh, looks set to be going to Qatar. And uh, for me, deservedly so, deservedly so. And um, so happy for him. Look, I don't know how much he's actually going to play or be on the pitch, but that man deserves one final trip the biggest stage on earth and um yeah i'm delighted delighted if this happens yeah absolutely over the moon i saw this break very very late last night is it confirmed it's it's just rumored no, at the moment, confirmed it's, it's not confirmed it's yet reported. but it's been reported out of the us by a number of people now so i i think this is yeah it's amazing if this if this comes off then incredible if if we're now absolutely flattened by a us 26 that doesn't include tim ream in it i'm going to be very upset because the the moment where I saw that I was like genuinely punched the air about two in the morning and it was, it was a really nice kind of moment and it woke Lucy up. She was very unhappy in two in the morning, just lying in bed being like, yes, come on. What's going on? I was like, Tim Reeves going to the world cup rumored. She was like, what are you doing? Not do that, please. Um, but yeah, it was. God, how is she still with you? I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. So we'll move onwards. But yeah, it was yeah a really nice moment and just uh, I think completely deserved after the performances put in this season. That immediate link up with Anthony Robinson that's been honed at club level is a nice thing for Bahalta to have to fall back on. I don't think he's going to start, as you say, but just as a voice in the dressing room. So what we always said, right, when we made this discussion, just as a voice in the dressing room, a leader, some calm, if they need someone to come in and and settle the ship, if they're holding on for a win, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's really, really important to have him there. And I'm delighted this was, you know, truly his last shot at going to a World Cup. Sadly, he's going to be probably a little bit further timed by the time that the home World Cup comes around in 2026. So, yeah, a, a major, amazing, amazing news and I'm absolutely over the moon for him. I'm, I'm made up for him. 
Uh, do you know what? With Tim Ream now, I don't think we can rule it out, can we? You know, he's, he's, no, we he... can't rule it out. <laughs> can <laughs> we be 100% probably, sure he's he not going to still be... roof on it, yeah. Yeah, still going to be pocketing um, defenders uh, when he's when he's in his 40s up in the Premier League. Um, Tosin Radarabai is going to retire before Tim Ream does. Um, so, um, yeah, no, really, really nice news uh, about Tim Ream. Let's look ahead then to Man United at the weekend. The Sunday 4.30 game, which means it's the final Premier League game before the break break um peter like this is a game that i can't quite call because united have been so up and down they were 10 matches unbeaten before they got absolutely smashed by villa at the weekend they are clearly improved under 10 hog you know we saw that game at brentford earlier in the season when they got hammered and four nil down by uh by half time they've improved so much since then but they still feel like a team that we can get at. I am just though nervous. The fact that we haven't got Kenny Tete, we don't have Harrison Reed, And honestly, I have no idea whether we're going to have Mitrovic either. Cause there's been rumors swirling uh, about him and um, you know, going into a United game at full strength, I'd be quite confident going into a United game about those three. And uh, suddenly I'm a little bit less confident. Yeah. I mean, Man United have blown hot and cold, haven't they? I mean, they seem to have found a, a good rhythm, a good sort of trajectory under Ten Hag. You know, it's quite, a lot of positive vibes coming out and then they get turned over by Aston Villa last weekend, admittedly with a new manager coming in and changing the atmosphere around the place. And I think the team was really um, reshuffled, wasn't it? And Bruno Fernandes wasn't playing because he was suspended. So yeah, different, difficult to know what you're going to get. I mean, on their day, they're a very, very good team. I think we can see that. You can see that they, they're certainly not as regularly... Uh, poor <laughs> as they have been in, in, in recent seasons. Um, but I, I think you're sort of right, Sammy. I mean, the, the misses are, are quite big. Obviously, Kenny Tetter being suspended is frustrating. Um, I really enjoyed his battle with Jack Grealish on, on Saturday. I thought it was a really good uh, duel between two players that seemed suited to, to do battle. You know, Jack Grealish very good in one-on-one situations. So is Kenny Tete, but on the other end. So um, that was entertaining, but to lose him is annoying, especially after he's just come back from injury. And does that mean Bobby Deckard over Reed has to play at right back? Uh, or will Kevin and Babu get a nod? He came on as a winger, didn't he, against City? So it doesn't suggest necessarily that he's uh, regained the trust to play at fullback yet. Um, and then obviously Harrison Reed as well. So, yeah, we, I mean, we saw how the team coped without. Palinia and I and I would posit that Reed's influence is pretty similar to to Palinia. I mean, Palinia's been outstanding, but the two of them together have been very very good. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be an interesting interesting makeup because it changes that dynamic in midfield. Um, does Chalaba get a return? Hasn't haven't seen him, have we? Since the the red card, um, Josh Onam has been in the picture. Um, in terms of being on the bench, could could he make a a, a surprise return? Um, I mean, the, the obvious go-tos are Tom Kearney um, and, and then moving Pereira a little bit deeper. But do you want to do that against United? And that again, that depends which United turns up. It, it doesn't help that, you know, there's uncertainty about Mitrovic and it doesn't help that it's the last game before the World Cup as well. Um, but maybe maybe that can work to Fulham's advantage in terms of United have a lot of players looking at that tournament, more so than Fulham do. Um, although it's, you know, Fulham has an 11 that's packed with potential internationals. So... Maybe there there is a sort of a an unknown quality to this game, um, but yeah, I, th- I think we saw on Saturday how important Mitrovic is. 
And it's not just in terms of what he brings to the table. You all know what he brings, but also just having that fear factor for defenders. I'd love to see him have a go at Lissandro Martinez, um, who's done very well for me. I think the, the arguments about small defenders are always re- reductive and you need to look at the balance of a team. But, you know, there's uh, Fulham will find a way to exploit their, those weaknesses in the team. And I enjoy seeing him do battle with them. More than that, I'd like to see him have a go at Victor Lindelof, who I thought was very, very poor. We'll get some revenge game. for the injury because he obviously inflicted this ankle injury that's caused him so much problem on international yeah, duty. There you, <laughs> there you have it. Um, the subplot. But yes, I would like to see him have a go at Victor Lindelof, who I don't think is quite up to scratch. And also, I'm 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 excited about playing against this Manchester United right hand side of defence because Diogo Dalot is out. Uh, he's got his fifth suspension. So as one Portuguese returns to the Manchester United team in, in Bruno Fernandes. Diego Dalot is going to be out for this game. So I think we've seen that Ten Hag doesn't fancy Wan-Bissaka. Whether that means that Lindelof moves out to right back or Tyrell Malassia plays on the right-hand side using his kind of inverted foot, I don't know yet. But I'm excited to see if Fulham can can get some joy down that side because it, there's a lot to, I think there's a lot to be said for it. Without their, their first choice right centre-back and right back, Maybe Fulham can get United in that channel and maybe William can have a, can have some fun. The thing with Mitrovic, and this is a rumour that's been swirling about, is that he won't play in this game either because he's somehow being saved for Serbia. I can't quite believe that is the case, but it must be on his mind now that if I could just miss this one game, I will definitely play against Brazil. And whilst I'm sure Marcus Silva would never stand for that, if a player says he's injured, then there's not much you can do. Uh, rumours abound. Um, listen, this an- this ankle injury has caused problems, hasn't it? I mean, he's not trained properly properly for what the best part of a month since he's returned. You know, he's just not been training properly, um, which is never ideal. One, regardless, in in, in a genuine in a normal season, but also with the tournament as big as that. And you're right. I mean, it's it's inevitable it's going to be on his mind. It's going to be on everyone's mind if you're looking at that tournament. It'll be on Jalpalina's mind. It'll be on Anthony Robinson's mind. It'll be on everyone who's going to that tournament. You don't want to get injured for it. Um, but it's always like that with international tournaments and the difference is the, the close proximity. You know, There's not really a, a build-up where you can sort of recover from, from any knocks. Um, in terms of where he's at, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. He's Clearly, this is still causing him discomfort. Um, and if you're Mitrovic, you probably, you'd probably want to reduce the risk of that. Um, I, I don't know whether he plays on, on Sunday or not. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I imagine I don't get the impression that it's serious. Um, that's the only, that's what I will say. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him feature in that game, but at the same time, like, I wouldn't be surprised not to. <laughs> well, exactly. But, it, but also in the sense that it's, it's one of those, if it was a game against, you know, Bournemouth or Forest or Southampton, one of those teams down the bottom. I think it changes the dynamic a little bit, but it's not. Um, and I think that that plays in the World Cup players' favours. And it, it, as you say, Sam, you don't want that. You you don't want your your club players thinking like that. But it's inevitable. It's just one of those things. And then you're you're weighing up throwing in a player. This is admittedly you don't want to question anyone's professionalism because it's it wouldn't work like that. You want to go into a tournament in form, but it's in the back of your mind. It's just going to be in the back of your mind. It's just going I'd, to happen. I'd give him off. I'm perfectly honest with you. Like straight up, I'd let him have it out. I, I, I'd be like, you know what? 
get yourself better. This is you know an opportunity where your nation are in good form going into an international tournament. I want you as happy as possible at this club in that you, you know, this is a player that we know, Alexander Mitrovic, is going to be in demand next summer again, right? He's going to be a player that a lot of teams are looking at across Europe to think, well, look how he's performed in a top-level league and look how he's performed the last couple of seasons and look how he's performed on international duty. I want to keep Alexander Mitrovic as happy as physically possible in a Fulham shirt that he wants to stay here for as long as possible. And if that entails giving him a game out against Manchester United this weekend in that he knows that he will be fit for the World Cup opener for Serbia, I'd give it to him out. That's that's just how I'd look at it. Um, now, I don't know if that's how his wind works. I don't know how any of it works. But if that was the case and it was it was a question of, you know, just being like, look, my man, you you have this one. I want you to be fit and firing when this tournament comes around. And I want you to come back from it in the best possible spirits that you can fire our campaign in the second half of this season. If that's the price to pay, I'd pay it. Well, it's almost fortunate in that way that, you know, you mentioned if it was a bomb of Southampton, that if that was a game at Craven Cottage that we like, this is not a must win. I mean, mm. we, I want to win it and I do think that we can. And, and there's an element of disappointment there. We've got a good email here from Tom Burrows, which was going to save a part three, but it seems pertinent now. He says, um, Hi lads, bear with me a little bit as I understand um, there's a few what ifs involved here. If, as I suspect, Mitro isn't involved Sunday as he wasn't last game, do we have any right to feel a little bit aggrieved? There aren't many teams I'd love to see us get one over above Man United and it'd be such a shame to not have him out there. But I suspect he's been likely told by physios that if he wants to play every minute for Serbia, then he needs to rest his ankle now. I understand it could be his last ever World Cup and he loves playing for Serbia, of course, but we do need him too. Is he just too much of a legend at Fulham and he can do what he wants i'm happy to go along with that too as i love the bloke as any fulham fan does um someone please tell me where to direct my anger about a situation that hasn't even taken place yet thanks tom um what? i mean it's a good point i don't think what? we need anger let's just chill and enjoy it man one thing i would say you know as i was saying before he hasn't really trained he's also been he said he's taken painkillers to play and to do that so close to a world cup tournament says a lot about him and his willingness to do that for Fulham. And I think there's, there's two sides, you know, like if you're in that situation, knowing you've got the, the tournament of a lifetime, like, come on, let's, let's not underplay it here, what it means, the, a career highlight beyond anything in the form that he's been in, it is risking it if you're playing. If you're, to play at all is to risk it. Um, and he has risked it. And I think Jack's right. You know, there's a, there's a balance, isn't there? You, you could either throw him in against United, he aggravates the injury, misses the tournament. What is that going to do to him psychologically, mentally for the rest of the season when he comes back with Fulham? You know, I mean, you, there's, I, there are pros and cons and I, under, I can understand it, but also at the same time, it's like, what's the greater good here? You know, one game and it's against United and you get a player that comes back after a great tournament where I'm sure he'll win the Golden Boot. And, uh, and, the, and the World Cup. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't want him playing that many games though. Yeah, like if we, I mean, I'm more than happy with just quarterfinals. That'd be great, you know, like a nice, nice couple of weeks break for for Mitro coming back for that Palace game. That's that's, but he still comes home with the golden boot. There we go. It's, it's not just Mi- Mi- uh, Mitrovic. Anti Robinson's probably in this boat as well. You know, when when I spoke to him last month, he said he's playing on one ankle. So it's uh, there are players up and down, up and all over the world at the moment trying to work out, trying to balance. You know their club roles, what they're paid to do and the tournament, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. And, and this is where, you know, managers and their keep um, and physios to an extent 
Um, and you've got to weigh up what's what's in the best long term interest for for the club, actually. Yeah, I I think it's a, a wholly difficult question, but I would probably now after this begrudgingly accept it and not because ultimately I'm a Fulham fan above being a Serbia fan as much as I'd love to see Serbia do well. But I think if it does actually help Fulham going forward, because you have a happy Mitrovic, it's more likely to stay at the club and all of that um, this summer, then, then maybe it is for the greater good. And one thing before we take a break, uh, some news broke on Sunday, Peter, about um, Fulham's partnership with Titan Capital Markets. It's been scrapped. Um, We talked about it a lot on this pod. Um, you can go back to our interview with Martin Caladine a few weeks ago, um, who was the person that first kind of looked into this. Um, it then kind of passed on to you, Peter. It was like a relay race, um, this Titan Capital Markets. Martin <laughs> Caladine passed the baton to you, uh, and then it got passed to Nick Harris in the mail um, via the FST as well, who tried to um, raise it. Um, it seems that uh, it going in the mail and the kind of extra... Uh, things that he uncovered about the fact that some of the people in Titan Capital Markets uh, promotional material were just actors and not actually genuine employees of um, Titan Capital Markets. That seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Fulham have cancelled this partnership. And there's not a lot more in my eyes to say other than this is a complete embarrassment for the club from start to finish, really, that they entered into a partnership like this and have had to sheepishly pull out of it after kind of trying to hope that this would go away and it just never did. No, no, it doesn't. Um, and I think that's the that's the fundamental issue here. Um, it is damaging to the club's reputation. Um, and that's not great from a fan perspective. It's not great from a club perspective. But I, mean, I imagine if you're another partner of Fulham, you don't want to be associated with something like Titan that gets this kind of negative publicity so you know what has to happen now is that this doesn't happen again there has to be some kind of resolution there has to be some kind of change that that the due diligence is strong enough that this can't happen um you know martin's done excellent work as you guys brought him onto the podcast um and, and heard all about um i'm surprised it took this long to end the partnership um you know when I wrote about it in mid-October. You know, we flagged that the Australian authorities were looking into it. I think now it's been raised in the Australian Senate. Um, so, you know, there were lots of issues. I mean, the licensing issue is that they were targeting beginners, which is what we wrote about when they're actually only licensed or they actually have a license themselves. They use another company's license, which they're allowed to do, but it's targeting at the wholesale market, which is something different entirely, the, the unattainable returns. And then as Nick Nick Harris found out, you know, what we suspected about the those employees in the, in that video, um, he's discovered is true. I mean, it was, I think it was the chief operating officer was actually a, an actor called Daryl or something and, and a punk singer. Um, yes. it's, so it's, it's not funny, but it almost is. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you don't want this situation and it, it's, it was entirely avoidable. Um, and as I say, um, you know, it's been, it was a, it's a difficult story to write about. So I'm pleased that Nick Harris picked up as well. Um, but I, you know, it's it's just one of those things that can't happen again. A club can't get themselves into it, and it, it does further the arguments when they're talking about independent, um, an independent regulator for football, because it's these kind of stories that you know lead to those questions being asked. Um, and unfortunately, it, it doesn't look great for Fulham, and and they have to avoid this going forward. And that's what I'm sure the FST have been raising as well. I mean, Jack, I think the thing that kind of made me feel pretty sick was when I saw you saw Titan Capital Markets promotional material and 
they were in effect saying, well, look, we're partnered with London. They actually said uh, England's oldest football club. They clearly thought that we were England's oldest. We're London's oldest. Is uh, the wrong the, black and white. There's a bit of a difference there. But they said, we're partnered with England's oldest football club. So we must be genuine. We must be legit. You have to trust us because what Premier League club would partner with us if we weren't legitimate? And Great that's question. And that's scary. Yeah. Right? When you see that's, that's the power that Fulham has in his able, that's the influence they were able to use over us. And, and that's our club, our name being used for activity that is less than, uh, less than great. Yes. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I've got to be careful with the words that I use there, but you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. And and obviously it's, it's, I think it's really interesting that you've just said what kind of Premier League club would partner with someone that wasn't legitimate. I was like, questions are raised, but yeah. it, it does, it does feel, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe the actual worst bit for me is that, you know, Fulham announced this and fans are utilized, I think in, in some ways to be like, well, hey, look, these are our sponsors. You should get on board with them. And that's literally selling the fans down the river. No, like that is selling the fans into a company that has mm. no right to be doing what it's doing and who are promising returns and rewards that they surely cannot possibly fulfill. And that that's a real worry. That's a, a use of, oh, okay, you're a fan of the club. Why don't you invest in our sponsors? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, and, and a lot of people look at this and go, well, if you're dumb enough to do that, then it's your own fault. And, and, <laughs> fine but if the kind of point is here that the lack of consideration for the fan base that the people who are around the club and being promoted to them are not being given due diligence and and checking I think it it is a massive slap in the face if I'm being perfectly honest and there'll be loads of people who are saying you know was it Matt we're doing really well on the pitch but I think it does matter I think it matters hugely about our reputation about what we feel like as a club about what we purport to stand for and you know a lot of people say that football is a business now and yes it might be but there is a way of going about these business in the right ideas and and in the right ways that seem to try and keep a part of of what this club is because you know let's have no bones around it if if Fulham were to fall from grace and drop to the third fourth tier these attendances would be down. It would be back to the same old hardcore in the middle who have been charged extortionate prices for tickets, who have been sold all these dodgy partners who are going to be in there trying to, in the muck, trying to shovel Fulham out of it. And I think that it's very important that that isn't lost in the glory of what's going on on the field at the moment. The thing is, you can say it's a business and all of that, but everything's a business. The athletics are business. Fulhamish is a business. We've all got to, you know, keep the lights on, but we can all choose what we responsibly let um, on our platform. And, you know, you've got, an, you've got a, a moral obligation just to not let anyone or anything use, you know, what, what level does this go to? If you just say, Oh, you know, well, you know sometimes, if they've got- sometimes you let Farrell Monk on the podcast. <laughs> well, yes, I know. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think that ultimately the right thing has happened for me. I thought it was pretty shocking that it, it took that kind of like mail on Sunday expose for the club to realize that they were in the wrong here and not what the Fulham supporters trust had said to them clearly unequivocally the supporters trust said this was wrong and Fulham from what I've been told 
just kind of hoped that it, would go it didn't away. matter and I've tried to shoot the messenger a little bit on this and I've tried to criticise the supporters' trust and, and I don't think that is very fair and I think goes against what the supporters' trust is trying to do. They are just trying to inform the club that they don't agree with something and and to, to shoot down the messenger for having a comment on this or having an opinion on this I think is, um, is abhorrent. So look... The right decision has been made. Titan Capital Cup Markets is no more in terms of its association with Fulham, and, and that's the best thing. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd encourage watch, reading Nick Harris's article, which is in the mail if you haven't already. Peter's written about it. Obviously, Martin Caladine has written about it. Um, so there's plenty more reading. But hopefully, this is a subject that we can put firmly to bed, which will be nice. Uh, in part two, we're going to be chatting about much nicer things. I'm going to be speaking to Claire Parrish all about her new charity. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here and I'm joined by the wonderful Claire Parrish. Claire, how are you doing? Thanks for coming back on. Oh, hi, Sammy. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm OK. Thank you. Claire, you've been um, super busy um, working, following Fulham around the country as ever and setting up a brand new charity. Not quite sure how you managed to find all the time um, to do it. But yeah, since we last spoke, Claire, um, you've started the uh, the Paul Allen project in memory of, of, of your late dad who we know passed away at the Blackpool game from a cardiac arrest back in in January um, looking to provide training for people that want to learn how to spot the signs of a cardiac arrest how to perform CPR how to use a defibrillator so yeah how's it all going super exciting and um, so lovely that you've managed to start an initiative um, in, in your dad's memory yeah thanks sammy um it's it's going okay i mean it's slow progress as with most things there's a lot of sort of behind the scenes stuff the sort of boring admin stuff that you have to get done first um so that's been rumbling on in the background but now we're at a point where um yeah we can start organizing some fundraising things um getting other um organizations involved and other people want to partner with us the chaps who are doing the um training i've got a couple of chaps who are who are medically qualified they're both doctors they are going to carry out the training one of the things i did actually want to uh, take advantage of talking to you today was a bit of a call to action to see if anybody else who has an advanced first aid certificate would like to be one of our trainers um which might sound quite huge but to be honest if we have more people doing it the less any one person will have to do so just a little bit of a call to people if you do have an advanced first aid certificate perhaps if you work in a school or you're a police officer paramedic something like that and you think you know what I could give up one Saturday afternoon every six months to train people on basic life-saving skills please contact me Paul Allen Project on Twitter that would be a great place to contact me mm-hmm. come on a train the trainer course so you're completely certified to be a trainer and then train others if it's not for you then maybe you could reach out your to your network if you're a GP and you're listening to this maybe reach out to your fellow GP network something like that let's just try and get the word out and get this really moving now um, as it stands I've got two lovely chaps uh, Chris and Afas already who are signed up to help and they're, and they're Fulham fans right 
Yes, they are. They are. And Sammy, I'll just give you a little plug here. Last time I was on your pod, these lovely chaps contacted me from, from listening to us chat and said, Claire, we'd love to help you. So I'm hoping we can repeat the cycle <laughs> and, it, and it will happen again. It's so lovely to hear about uh, Chris Navas kind of getting in touch with you and, and offering their yeah. support and uh, and help towards the, the Paul Allen project. And uh, Chris ran a half marathon to raise funds for... Um, for, for the project as well and you, you've got to go fund me which I know that uh, uh, lots of Fulham fans contributed towards so the Fulham community is still very much involved in the project and it's so lovely to see something good in the community um, coming out of such a, an awful day yeah absolutely and you know it is it's it's one of those things that people I'm not going I'm not saying that people are going to forget it or want to forget it but it was something really awful that happened to us all and I'm very aware of that you know it didn't just happen to my family it affected everyone that was around us immediately around us on that day but everybody in the ground and I, I just you know want to ask the film supporters who are listening if if you remember how horrible it was that day try and just get involved with us even if it's just following my Paul Allen page on Twitter or Instagram just see what we're doing it's it's not all talking about the horrible stuff we don't want to talk about we don't want to think about our own mortality we don't want to think about unhappy things all the time and I understand that but you know we've got the um, quiz night coming up which I really would love to see loads of familiar Fulham faces at it's going to be somewhere around Sutton um, we haven't got a venue quite yet but I will be hopefully sorting that out by the end of next week yeah. if anyone can donate a little prize to the raffle we've seen how great Fulham Football Club have been and the the Fulham fans as well have just continued to be fantastic the whole year through and I know dad hasn't been forgotten by anyone but you know this now isn't about the parish family this is about us doing something for others this is about everybody this isn't about my dad anymore this is about saving lives this is about your uncle or your grandpa or your auntie walking through the park and god forbid having a cardiac arrest where is the nearest defibrillator hopefully the paul allen project has been able to fund one in that nearest park or that nearest train station or wherever it might be to enable that person to have a greater chance of life 100 percent, claire this is life-saving stuff and um yeah, it's it's vitally important. And you're right that Paul hasn't been forgotten. But of course, with time, um, it always gets a little bit more difficult. But yeah, the call to action is there. There's there's so many ways. Obviously, there's the uh, if you're a first aid trainer, as, as Claire mentioned. But if you just want to directly help uh, the Paul Allen Project, uh, you can. They have a GoFundMe page if you want to directly contribute or if you want to fundraise in another way, do a run, a skydive, whatever. Uh, I'm sure you can contact Claire and they'd be more than happy uh, for you to do it on their behalf. And yeah, the quiz coming up in uh, January 2023. Looking for prizes, looking for people to go along. So a lot of call to actions but 
that's always going to be the way when you're setting up something brand new, Claire. And I'm sure lots of people will be delighted to try and help you in, in any way because it's a Fulham person and a Fulham charity. And, uh, you know, it means an awful lot to us, I think, when one of our own is trying to set something up like that. I've enjoyed, Claire, that the dog's been trying to get the limelight uh, during the, the last few minutes. Uh, just uh, <laughs> oh, just so she, she's a nightmare. Just so she can have um, her say as well. And just um, before we go, Claire, um, what what have you made of uh, Fulham this season? I haven't managed to catch you at an away game, but I know you go to uh, uh, the majority of them. So, yeah, what have you uh, made of the season? Been pretty fun, hey? Oh, it's just been amazing. Loved every second. Leeds away day was fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of sore points where we feel like we, we should have come away with something and we haven't. A couple of the refs have been a bit questionable at times. But otherwise, I mean, the football's just been so brilliant and engaging hasn't it it's just been so much fun you know and you just like you say Claire where do you fit it in you're busy a lot of us are busy people but fitting football in for me and I know so many others is about that sort of release and you know when you're being able to go to football and jump for joy it's (laughs) so much of a better release in life isn't it it's just been fantastic I mean Marco Silva and Louis Bow, they just have the players playing the most fantastic football and you can really tell the squad is just so together just so gutted about Cabano that was a real sucker punch I think we were all quite quite sad for him weren't we yeah definitely definitely yeah get better soon um these skins well look Claire thank you for coming on and um you know really really hope that things go from strength to strength really excited for that quiz night um at the end of January and uh, I really hope that uh, everything goes from strength to strength and uh, no doubt we'll hear from you in a few months with how it's all going oh lovely thank you so much Sammy I really appreciate it Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here back with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Thank you to the lovely Claire Parrish as ever. Um, so exciting to hear what she's doing with the Paul Allen project. So many ways you can help uh, if you want. It's really nice to see uh, a kind of Fulham based charity uh, really starting to, to grow in popularity. And yeah, that quiz night uh, at the end of January uh, should be an awful lot of fun. And if you can help in any way, prizes, um, or if you're able to um, get involved with the training, if your first aid training, trained and, uh, and uh, you want to help with all of that uh, either get in contact with us or get in contact with Claire um, it's uh, yeah really worthwhile stuff that, that she's doing I think uh, it's great that the Fulham fan base can uh, can help and support in whatever way we can let's do some questions before this will catch on uh, a mixture of questions from email you can always get in contact uh, on the email hello at fulhamish.co.uk and send in your questions for the Thursday Club we've also got a few from our Telegram community uh, this one from from uh, Matthew Belsito says, Hey guys, after the red card, my friend and I were debating where would Man City finish the league if they had to start every game down a man? He thought they'd survive easily, but I think they'd challenge the top seven to eight. What say was the Fulhamish crew? Uh, and that's cheers from the state from Matt. Um, so without wishing to be the, the Man City podcast, I mean, uh, Blue Moon have got you covered, by the way, uh, if you ever want more Man City content. But it is quite an interesting one. Jack, where do you think City would finish if they uh, had to play every game with 10 men in the Premier League? This is very Michael Cox on The Athletic. Bayern should start every game 1-0 down, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I... Much as they were brilliant on the weekend, I think those are the kind of performances you can only do every so often. Um, now, I think they'd probably just about survive, but I think the 
physical toll on their players would be absolutely unbelievable and they would drop off towards the end of the season. So I'm going to say like lower mid-table, 13, 14. Peter? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of with Jack. I'm curious. Do we do they still compete on all those fronts as well? Like, you know, in Europe. Can they play eleven players in the Champions League? Yeah. Let's just say let's just let's say in this theoretical world it's just the Premier League they've got to worry about. Oh, okay. Well then yeah, I could see them I could see them hitting the top half, I think. Genuinely. I think they could do that. I think the the, the big question would be injuries and things, because it's so exhausting to play with ten men that, you know, I I, I can't You could still rotate your squad though. Yeah, but their squad isn't actually that massive, is it? It's not the biggest squad in terms of depth. Yeah. So um, if they lost Kevin De Bruyne for a period and Bernardo Silva and Rodri, I mean, they'd be in a bit of a pickle. So actually, I might revise my, my, my prediction and move them down the table. Yeah, 15th, 16th. Yeah. I see. I'm, I'm going against... I, I actually am with um, Matthew... Like, if you've got Haaland on the pitch and you've got De Bruyne and you've got Bernardo Silva and you've got Rodri at the back and Cancelo and Edison in goal, I still think they're going to win a lot of games. I think they win, but I just don't think they'd be on the pitch for all the games. They're just going to get injured. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's too much stress physically on a body to be playing I mean, that sort of defeats the, 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 the aim it's of the question. Yeah, it's not the joy <laughs> answer, but it is probably the right answer. I mean, yeah, if you can go, fit, then maybe, yeah, top half, definitely. But I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I liked it, Matthew. Great question. Um, made, us, made us think. Uh, Gerald Mullery says, Hey boys, love the pod. Two-part question. Do you know how much Fulham can spend in the January transfer window under FFP rules? I think we definitely need Polinia and winger cover and possibly a better, different Mitro substitute. Uh, in relation, do you see any first teamers departing in the January window? And that's from Jerry Mullery in brackets, no relation to Alan. He, uh, <laughs> he answered what we were all thinking. <laughs> so thank you. Um, Peter? Uh, I wonder about January. I don't know the, the full ins and outs and I don't know the, the numbers on the accounts at this point, but I think what will be interesting is the fact that Fulham are doing so well um, mm. and whether that changes what Fulham feel confident enough to do in terms of FFP. I mean, uh, for me, it's still, I know Fulham are doing so well, but I'm still <laughs> scarred by two relegations. So um, there is, a, it's only, what's it, seven point gap at the moment. So, which isn't massive. It's, it's a very, fun, it's a fantastic. There's a lot of bodies in the way though. There are a lot of bodies in the way and that's what's so encouraging. So, you know, this is good. And this is what I mean, as in like coming into January, it's not, wouldn't be panic. But I think there is a sense that maybe you can start thinking a bit longer term in terms of your your finances. Um, but again, I don't think you'll see massive changes in January. I think that's the sign that things are going wrong. I think there are holes in the squad to to plug. I think I'd be interested to see what happens with, with Josh Onomar, obviously, because he almost joined West Brom. I think depending on outgoings, you'll get some, there could well be some income, incomings just to bolster the team. I think we, we've talked about that midfield position as one that, could do with an extra a body in case Reed or, or Palina went down. Um, I feel like with Vinicius, I, I, we just haven't seen enough of him yet. And I know, I know he got a bit of criticism for Saturday, but I thought I felt it was a bit harsh. You know, I mean, he was playing Man City, um, and I, I, in that first half, I was quite impressed with him the way he worked. You could see he got tired in the second half because he just not hasn't played ninety minutes. Um, so I'm I'm not gonna put a stall out. And I, I think I can't remember who said it on the podcast. It might have been George. Um, about, you know, he hasn't really had a shot. He's not he's a penalty box striker. We haven't actually seen what he can do in the box really yet. I mean, he's come on against Newcastle with, with 10 men. 
and then he's yeah. played against Man City. So um did get full 90 against West Ham though. That was the one for me where I was a little bit like... Yeah, but he wasn't bad, was he? I thought it was fine in the early stages. I thought it was fine. I mean, like, I don't know. We're, we're quite quick to judge is, is my my take on it. And you know what? Maybe, maybe he doesn't work out. Maybe he's not the, the Mitrovic deputy that, that Fulham need at this point. But um, I can't I see us bringing in another striker. No, I don't think that's by a By any stretch of the imagination. Not with Vinicius on the books, Rooney's out on loan and Stansfield coming through as well. And Harris. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I'm still not 100% sure that Luke Harris is a pure number nine these he's days. He's not a number nine, no. Um, so, but I, I think that with those three behind Mitrovic, we're not going to see someone else coming in January in this position yeah, right now. Not until one goes planning. out. Yeah, there's got to be there's got to be some careful thinking about planning, and you know, I, stri- yeah. I mean, if you look at Mitrovic's numbers when he plays games, he doesn't actually make that many passes in them. He doesn't actually. He does a lot. We've talked about wins how a lot of group, aerial duels. Wins he? a lot of aerial duels, and that's probably what Vinicius didn't do as well as he could have done on on Saturday. And I don't think he had a good game. Don't get me wrong, but um, I wouldn't say that's a priority for January. Anyway, pulling it back to your question, Sam. Yeah. No, I, I think the Polinia cover Jack is the one where probably. It was the one position really after the summer we were like, okay, we look thin there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, and Harrison Reed cover, to be honest. I think yeah. we look, I just think we look short in the middle, full stop. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's where I'd be looking if I was if I was looking to, to strengthen the squad in January. So, yeah, that, that's that's what I would be, that's what I'd be heading for. I think that that's the, that's the move that makes the most sense. Yeah. And um, in his second part of the question, do either of you see many first teamers um, departing in the January window? Not really. No. I think it's about. I think, I think players like Josh Onuma, right. maybe. Yeah, but, Josh yeah. Might. It'd be an in, in and out sort of scenario, I think. I think that's, that's come down to good squad planning, isn't it? You, you don't want to bulge your squad, which Fulham have had before. Um, I think Onuma's the one that probably would look to go out, but then you want to get someone in as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting um, time, though, Jack. What I was wondering from your perspective is what do you think this January transfer window is going to be like? Because this is a January transfer window unlike any other where we've now got a five, six week break where teams can kind of even though, yes, some players are going to be busy and all eyes are going to be on the World Cup. Marco Silva, Morte, and uh, the transfer team are going to have some time to sit down and analyse where they think they're short, where they think they're doing well and, and every other club in the world that's, um, uh, you know, at a professional level is going to have that time. And then you've got a January transfer window. You've also got, you know, some players that will have an amazing World Cup that will be then looking for moves. Do you think this January transfer window could be a bit like a summer one in, in some respects, that it could be a pretty busy one because not normally do you have the kind of amount of time to sit down and plot and and work out what you want. And also agent deals could be, there could be a lot of agent conversations in this kind of six week gap because there's just more space for, for teams to breathe and plan and do what they want. Yeah, I, I do. I think this is going to be a really busy window for a lot of teams. Now, I know I've just said that I don't think Fulham are going to be all that active, but I think this is going to be a really busy window for quite a lot of teams. I think there's going to be some big moves uh, off the back of this World Cup. And and as you say, the fact that this is a truncated season, the fact that there's going to be a lot of games played out in the second half of this season, any team who's struggling is going to panic 
and 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 go for it in the January transfer window. The teams who are doing well are going to look to try and reinforce and make sure that they can hold out on their position. I think it's going to be very busy and I think it's going to be very, very interesting how it plays out. But I think you're absolutely right in terms of uh, this, this break and the fact that these conversations are going to be taking place between the people planning transfers at the top end of clubs and the agents who have the time now to try and use this break to get their clients moves and those who are going to the world cup and going i'm going to set this place on fire and earn myself a big shot at the big time so yeah i think it's going to be i think it's gonna be an incredibly busy january window uh, and this uh, one here from Bruce Robertson says, hi, guys, love the podcast, loved the Europa League team conundrum that Sammy and Jack talked about uh, a few weeks ago, said he was at the final and the most exciting game ever, Juventus plus the other home games. He has said this is the team that bring home the Europa trophy. So if you weren't listening a few weeks ago, Jack and I had uh, a little debate about what's the best combined 11 out of the Europa League final team and then our current starting 11 um we did have one uh message in saying why wasn't dempsey uh in our lineup which may be an oversight but I, unless i'm mistaken dempsey didn't start the final he didn't know so i think that was why we left him out um uh, but i mean also if whether it's t- 2010 dempsey's not quite 2012 dempsey um anyway this is bruce's team he says schwartz are in goal baird at right back robinson at left back hangland and ream at center back um, he's gone for Reed and Polina, Murphy, Gira, Davies behind Mitro. There's no Damien Duff in that team, so I'm afraid that's incorrect. He's put Duff on the bench. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That, that, that's not going to be accurate. <laughs> that's not that's incorrect. Not incorrect. Not much width. No, really not much width. I don't like Danny Murphy as a 10 either. <laughs> things, I, <laughs> things I'm not here for at all. Um, no, I mean, I like, I like quite a lot of this, and I do like that Hangel and Ream point. I'd still have Tete in a right back. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't like Zolly wide. That doesn't... He did play a lot of games there, though. No, I know he did. But I don't, I don't think that that's going to be getting the best out of, out of Mitrovic. I think what you need is someone who's been able to... is going to be able to deliver. And that person is Damien Duff. Yeah. Um, one final question here from Telegram. Um, Chris Desbro says, question from me, does Harrison Reed get any minutes in Qatar or is he just going in case of an injury to Declan Rice? Now, I'm pretty sure that Harrison Reed isn't going to the World Cup. I think, I think, I think this man <laughs> has taken our words too literally. Um, I've tweeted about this earlier that it looks like Calvin Phillips is getting in the squad, Peter. And I don't know. I'm maybe by I'm biased, but I can't understand how a man that's had three substitute appearances is just coming back from injury, potentially making his first appearance off the bench tonight in the Carabao Cup is going to potentially go to the World Cup. And yeah, Harrison Reed's not in the conversation. That's that's my thing. If he actually decided, oh, he's not quite enough for the 26, well, it's not even coming up. It's not even coming up in conversation. And I did um, I did the overlap with Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on Monday and um, it's on YouTube now. And Carragher gives out his England team and he, he puts in Calvin Phillips. And I was there at the back of the studio going like, what? How? Why is Calvin Phillips anywhere near this? Yeah. So the issue is, inter- players he trusts. This is, this yeah, what is that? But it's international football works differently. It's just, you know, Jack will know. Like it's, you have such a limited time with the players. If you're Harrison Reed, if you're going to the tournament, not, not saying that I don't think he merits being in the discussion. He def- I, for me, he does. But he won't have played in that team. He won't have played in that system. He won't know what Southgate wants, won't know his instructions. Um, and for Southgate, 
he will probably rather the sit with the players that he knows. And that's where this old debate comes in about form and, you know, players you trust. Um, because you want to make it as close to a club environment as you can, um, just so you can get that familiarity if you have a specific way of playing that may not necessarily be familiar to certain players. Not not so that players wouldn't adapt. Um, and also international football can be such a lottery anyway that often it's the psychological elements that are more, are more important um, in those discussions, getting your players prepared and, and ready. Um, so I can see why, long and short, I can see why he would go for Calvin Phillips because he's been a key part of what Southgate's done in the past. We'll know what he can do. And if he's fit, then I think Southgate will be naturally inclined to go with someone who knows the system. Probably why he's been so loyal to Harry Maguire as well, because Maguire knows what he wants from his team, even though for me, it's a different topic, but you're, you're exposing someone whose confidence is low. Um, but yeah, on Harrison Reed, I feel like if you had a little bit more time, if there was a little bit more time, he'd be in the discussion a bit more. Because if we are taking the fact that Southgate wants to have defensive-minded midfielders in that squad, there aren't many that do what Harrison Reed does. Um, you know, there's Declan Rice, but it's a bit, it's a different player. Calvin Phillips is a different player, and we've seen that Reed can. It's now starting to add a little bit more to his game, and I think that's actually been really important for even getting close to that kind of discussion. So. Um, Maybe with a bit more time, he would have entered it. But yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame for him because, as I say, there's not many defensive-minded midfielders in England who are playing at his level in the top half of the Premier League. So, Yeah, this is my thing with Southgate is I think it's gone... And look, I, I still think Southgate's the right man for the job for this World Cup, but he has gone away from some of his principles that I think a lot of people kind of bought into when he first came in, which he, he didn't seem to have that kind of like big club bias quite as much as, as previous managers. He did seem to go on and form rather than just picking people that he knew. And it seems to have gone the same way as other England managers over time. And for me, look, there's other players that also could be in consideration for that kind of, um, you know, deeper midfield berth, likes of Conor Gallagher. I know so it's James Ward-Prowse has always been in that conversation. I'm not necessarily saying Harrison Reed 100% should be on the plane. I just can't believe he's in consideration. He's not in some sort of consideration, but hey, it'll live red free. But even so, head. like you, you mentioned those names, none of them do what Reed does. No, no, they this don't. This is the point. No. So, I mean, it's, yeah, there's a, there is a case for him. Uh, that's why I definitely say there is a case, but I don't know whether it's going to be heard, unfortunately. Let's move on to This Will Catch On. And we have two This Will Catch Ons uh, today. The first one from Sam Berenzi. Now, you might uh, recognise that surname if you were listening to last week's podcast because he says, Hi team, Sam here. On behalf of the That's So Craven podcast team, I'd like to personally apologise for my less charismatic brother's attempt at This Will Catch On. (laughs) (laughs) As I am the younger brother... (laughs) It is my job to upstage him at any opportunity possible. And this here is my This Will Catch On in honour of our unsung hero between the sticks, Bert Leno. Echoing Jack's points, thanks for leading the way for us all these years. We literally started because we couldn't get enough of your work and the lack of Fulham content out here is an injustice. Hope you enjoy my significantly better submission. We'll always be your allies. Come on, you whites, from Sam. Right, hang on. Can we just have a quick recap of what Jack's was? Yes, I've I've got it here. So this was Jack's one for for Bobby Reed last week. 
Oh, this was good. Bobby Reed, show them your speed. Bobby Reed, he can right wing, left wing, right back, you're everything we need. Bobby Reed. Which I thought was a classic, was but good. then... That was good. This is Sam's for Bert Leno. <laughs> we built this city. We built this city on Bert Leno. We built this city. We built this city on Bert Leno. <laughs> so That's we need really to decide good. once That's and really for all good. which which brother which of the Berenzi brothers comes out on top is it um jack for uh bar 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 bobby reed or <laughs> sam for we built this city on burnt leno i've got i've got ptsd from that song because of that guy that sings we built this city on sausage rolls that gets to number one every christmas uh, lad baby or every christmas. oh god whatever ah <laughs> um, oh god see all my natural instincts as an elder brother called jack would be to go to side with jack here but uh, i think i'm gonna have to go with sam i think i'm gonna have to, i feel like i've betrayed you jack i'm really sorry but that was excellent and it really made me laugh I'm definitely still in the bar, 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 Bobby Reed club. So, so we've got oh, a Sam. No. We've got a Sam voting for a Jack and a Jack voting for a Sam. Yeah, yeah, we have we've actually. Very nice. Yeah, what kind of Fulham podcast also has a Jack and Sam? We maybe need yeah. to put a stop to this. Um, we aren't brothers. Peter, though, if they have a Peter, then it's all over. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, absolutely. Peter, you've got the casting call here. Oh God, God, it's cruel. I'm still. You know, do you build a city on Burnt Leno? You know, I, I don't know. That, that that's what's just getting to me and i enjoyed it I, I i was with it but it's annoying me it's just annoying me if fulham had beaten man city you could have done like we beat man city with burnt leno oh that would have oh. been very good, been very good. <laughs> but unfortunately fulham didn't I'm, I'm gonna go oh i'm gonna go with jack ba 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 bobby reed ba 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 bobby reed oh Oh, that's going that is oh. a lot of pain for sam as well because especially because he called it out yeah <laughs> i really Sorry, i did man. enjoy it but i just i just they're uh, both great they, they are, are both, both great. excellent really good really good stuff um, from the brothers yeah. maybe it would change when city visit the cottage yeah then win. we can work it out yeah i did i did like i, I love both though so thank you very much they were uh, final well, one Nathan Tambini says, Hi Fulhamish. This is my seventh season as a season ticket holder at Fulham. Safe to say, never a dull moment since I've joined the Fulham faithful. I've enjoyed a lot of things about being a Fulham fan, but one of my recent favourites has been the Fulham Cross ABBA collaboration. So I've taken it upon myself to add another song to the inevitable album soon to be released. A song about the best DM to play at Craven Cottage since Dembele, Jao Polina, to the tune of Mamma Mia by ABBA. Keep up the great work. <laughs> And that's many thanks from Nathan. So here no, we go. No, no. <laughs> Both have your head in hands. <laughs> I had not a clue who you were back in June. <laughs> <laughs> then in July, I was told by a friend. 
Look at this guy, six foot three and he jumps up so high. Wins his tackles and scores the goals. Next to Reed, he looks so tall. 26 is the number that he plays. Portuguese broken wrist and he still plays. Whoa, whoa, João Paulinho. In a black and white, João, João. And he hates the Chelsea. João Paulinho. In a black and white, João, João. And he hates the Brentford. Booked every week, we love it. Fulham since the day he started. Zhao Zhao, oh the Fulham love you so. Yeah, okay, very good. <laughs> oh, um, I have questions about the first bit, but I quite enjoyed the second bit. It was quite good. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the rhythmic nature of that middle middle eight. Zhao Zhao. I like it. I liked it. It made me giggle, so there we go. Ten I liked it a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I might, I might catch on. It's, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I never thought. I didn't think Super Shrewd would catch on. Yeah, that chorus might catch on. That actually might catch on. I can see that. I can see that happening. Again, we already have a chart for Zhao, so it's difficult for it ever to catch on, isn't it? But yeah, oh god, I've got to record my Willian song for you at some point. Can't wait. Can't written wait. a song for Willie and to the tune of Do you remember that song Euphoria that was in like Eurovision like ten years ago? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think I did see this in a text actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's all do for this. We'll catch on today. Uh, we don't know what we're doing over the World Cup, but there'll definitely be a show next week. So, um, and we need a couple more. This will catch on. So, send yours in to hello at fullamish.co.uk and send in your questions as well. We love getting them. Uh, and that'll do for today's podcast. Peter Rutzler, thank you very much. No, thank you, guys. It's been good to be back. And Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, as ever, Sammy. Always a pleasure. Uh, we will be back uh, the podcast will be released uh, Tuesday morning um, following the Man United game um, so all reaction to that and there will be a Thursday club this time next week kind of just rounding off this half of the season before the World Cup and then we've got some bits planned for the World Cup um, we're not really sure what we're doing yet but uh, we'll we'll figure it out as we go Peter and, uh, Peter and I are working together there so that's exciting are you? Oh, yeah. right. well, where's my invite? Yeah, well, sorry, sorry, lads. We're uh, we're covering some live shows. It's all very exciting. All right, suit yourselves. Yeah, all we right. will do. Yeah, don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm about to go cry in the corner. Um, so, um, have a lovely uh, rest of your week. Hopefully, we can finish off the season in style. Oh, this half of the season in style against Man United on Sunday. And come on, you lads. You wait. Right.